Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Vynamic, Trending Health features industry guests and panelists who explore topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Mindy McGrath, Vynamic's healthcare industry advisor. On today's episode, we're discussing the topic of access to care and remote health. To help us dive into this topic, we've invited Christina Hu, Product Manager for Artificial Intelligence at Babylon Health, to join us in understanding this topic further. Babylon Health has an incredible mission of putting accessible and affordable health services in the hands of every person on earth, and we are extremely appreciative that Christina is our guest today. Christina, it is great to have you with us. Uh, Before we get started into talking about the topic at hand, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about Babylon Health, your vision, and a bit more about your business model. Sure. So Babylon Health's vision is simple, to put an accessible and affordable health service in the hands of every person on earth. And when we say health service, we mean it in a very broad and comprehensive sense. We want to give people what we call the circle of care, from triage to treatment, prevention to long-term health management. As I'm sure you can see, it's an enormous ambition, arguably the greatest in global health. To make this possible, Babylon Health finds ways to work with a wide range of partners and customers across the globe, including governments, healthcare providers, insurance companies, and more, to roll out our services and lower costs for everyone. You see, we understand that even though everyone needs healthcare, the way that healthcare is provided, paid for, and accessed can vary hugely. And that's why we flex our product suite and business models depending on what makes the most sense in each unique case. For example, we deliver end-to-end primary healthcare for the NHS, but for the insurance company Prudential, we provide software as a service. And for the Canadian telco company Telus, we have a joint venture in place where we share costs and revenue for delivering healthcare services. Regardless of the unique form that our service takes, in each case, we're combining the strengths of both powerful machines and expert human doctors to create a health service that's immediate, high quality, and personalized. So Christina, in a world where half the population lacks access to essential health services, What role do you think remote health can play in unlocking access to care? Okay, so first let's think about what the reasons are for people lacking access to essential healthcare services. The way I see it, there are three main reasons. Geographical barriers, high expenses, and shortage of clinicians. Let's take each one in turn and see how remote health can help. Firstly, reaching healthcare services in a timely manner is a challenge for many remote or rural communities, with patients often having to spend hours on the road just to see a doctor for 15 minutes. Virtual consultations like those that Babylon Health provides can put an end to geographical healthcare inequality by connecting patients and clinicians wherever they may be. Secondly, many studies have shown that remote consultations are significantly more cost-efficient than in-person doctor appointments. A while back, The Wall Street Journal published some figures for the costs of treating the non-emergency health problems that patients typically use virtual consultations for, noting that the average virtual consultation costs around $45 compared to $100 at a doctor's office 
160 at an urgent care clinic or over 750 at an emergency room. And finally, clinician shortage. The ongoing shortage of clinicians exists as both an absolute and relative problem. In the relative sense, high patient demand often overwhelms low clinician supply. Clinicians are increasingly using remote patient monitoring to perform routine tests and track patients' health in a way that both enables care to be more proactive and empowers patients to self-care. In fact, the drive for self-care is also behind Babylon's initiative to build the AI-powered symptom checker, which aims to analyze patient symptoms and risk factors to give them helpful information on what might be causing their health problems. That's a really interesting point. And moving from traditional interactions with healthcare providers to virtual ones can raise some concerns about quality and accuracy. From your point of view, can all types of healthcare be delivered remotely? And are you confident that the same level of service can be achieved with remote health applications like that of Babylon Health? No. So certainly not all types of healthcare can be delivered remotely, as there'll always be a need for face-to-face healthcare services. Obviously, anything that requires physical assessment by a clinician can't be carried out remotely. For example, when a doctor needs to palpate a patient's abdomen to feel for abnormalities, and maybe test for areas of tenderness. This is the sort of thing that couldn't be done remotely. Despite these limitations, there are a great many healthcare services that can be carried out remotely and achieve parity with the quality of care you get with face-to-face care. For a start, remote health services have been proven time and time again to be especially effective for diagnosing mild, non-life-threatening ailments like flu, rashes, sprains, and UTIs. Remote services can also provide a channel for specialists to treat their patients, but the exact form of the service depends on the specialism. For instance, hematologists can use remote services to help a patient understand what their blood test results mean. Psychiatrists can provide counseling or cognitive behavioral therapy via messaging or virtual consultation. Nurses can use image or video feed to check how a patient's wound is healing post-operatively. On top of all this, healthcare done remotely can, in some cases, offer a number of benefits that traditional face-to-face services cannot. Take those who are frail or have mobility issues. Traveling to see their doctor can be a real challenge, so remote healthcare at their fingertips can be a real godsend. Also, Remote consultations offer those with mental health issues the opportunity to get the care they need without having to leave the house or interact with others, and they can get that care round the clock. And as proving quality, in the UK, Babylon Health has already been demonstrating that it's meeting the high standards of care maintained by the NHS. After all, Babylon is regulated no differently from any standard healthcare service provider. In fact, in May this year, the Care Quality Commission, which independently regulates healthcare in England, um, published a report announcing that Babylon is safe, effective, caring, responsive, and well-led. Even in the wealth areas of the world, access to health is a problem. What do you see as the biggest challenges to furthering the adoption of remote health in developed nations? So one of the biggest challenges to adopting remote health um, is actually a well-known challenge in healthcare generally. And that's the shortage of clinicians. 
whether that's shortage of clinicians to directly interface with patients and treat them remotely, or shortage of clinical expertise to guide the design of innovative remote services like AI consultations and monitoring services. The shortage in developing nations is astounding. For example, in rural Rwanda, where Babylon has now carried out over 565,000 consultations, typically one doctor serves between 25,000 to 60,000 people. But you might be surprised to know that the doctor shortage, even in developed nations like the US, can also be shockingly low, at a ratio of around three doctors per 1,000 people. Another challenge um, to the adoption of remote healthcare services is patient trust. Lots of studies conducted over the course of the past few years have highlighted how there's often confusion among patients about what remote healthcare even is and how it works, particularly in older generations. On top of this, a survey carried out by HealthMind revealed that of those who aren't using telemedicine, 14% said that they don't trust a virtual provider to make the right diagnosis um, or treatment plan. Another 14% said that they aren't sure whether their health plan offers it. And 28% said they don't know when it's appropriate to even use telemedicine. So if remote healthcare services like Babylon want to boost uptake of remote healthcare services, we needed to invest time in first winning the hearts and minds of patients. Finally, Christina, there is a topic that we don't usually talk a lot about, and that is the challenge of working with AI technology. Based on your role as AI product manager at Babylon Health, what are some of the main lessons that you've learned in this space? The challenges of working with AI technology start before you even get onto the AI part, and it starts with data. When I say data, I'm referring to patients' health data, provided, of course, with their permission and used solely for optimizing their care. Gathering enough patient health data that is relevant, trustworthy, and comprehensive can mean the difference between success and failure. So it's no surprise that we dedicate a huge amount of effort towards this. Sometimes we're lucky, and the data we need comes in a nice format that's easy to handle, but more often than not, um, it's actually not such a nice format, and we have to find ways to automatically make sense of information that might be unstructured. For example, doctor's notes and test results. Just gathering the data isn't enough. It's also important to encode all this data in a way that can be easily understood by all the services, both human and machine, that need to understand it. I've actually written a five-part blog series on this, so check out the data challenges of building an AI doctor blog on the Babylon Health website if you'd like a bit of a deep dive. Apart from data, two other big challenges of working with AI come to mind. And these come from more of a product perspective. Firstly, the nature of AI is inherently unpredictable. You simply can't guarantee that a machine learning model will end up delivering the levels of precision and recall that may be required for a product. Instead, you have to learn and iterate rapidly, trying lots of different models until you hopefully eventually find one that performs consistently within an acceptable range. That unpredictability can be really disconcerting to executives. So one challenge within AI actually is to manage stakeholder expectations. The other challenge of working with AI is also about expectation management, but in a different sense. People often criticize AI solutions for the mistakes that they make, 
picking up on every error, no matter how minor or how much of an edge case. But actually, when you compare these AI solutions to their human parallels, humans do not necessarily do better. For example, whilst Babylon's AI symptom checker is not 100% accurate, people often forget that human doctors make mistakes too. In fact, a study in 2017 showed that something like 20% of patients with serious conditions are misdiagnosed by human doctors to begin with. So perhaps one of the biggest challenges of working in AI is helping others to understand the limitations and realistic expectations of AI technology. So that was a really great interview with Christina Hu from Babylon Health. And to recap what we heard, I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow healthcare industry enthusiasts, Ryan Hummel, our provider sector advisor. Hi, everybody. Adrian Muko, director in our Hi. London office. Hi, Mindy. Hi, everyone. Mike Catone, a director, and I'm going to call him our innovation guru. Oh, thanks, Mindy. Hey. And Jen Burke, who's a manager with a background in artificial intelligence. Glad to be here. Um, and I want to jump into talking a little bit about the topic at hand. Christina highlighted the purpose behind Babylon Health's mission of putting accessible and affordable health services in the hands of every person on earth. That is an enormous ambition. And so I'm curious of what your thoughts are on their mission and how they actually get there. So Mindy, I actually think this is a very ambitious mission indeed. So today we spent over $10 trillion a year in healthcare globally. And a good health coverage is often unaffordable both for patients and for healthcare systems. This is true for developing countries, but not only. For example, if we look at mental health, one in five people in Europe or in the US are suffering from untreated issues. Plus, the world is facing a dilemma. We are short of approximately 5 million doctors, but a very large part of what we already spend going to HCP salaries. The average time to seek medical attention is so long that when you meet someone, sometimes a very small issue that could have been easily managed might have grown to a much more important one that now requires expensive treatment. All this to say that I think Babylon Health mission is definitely worth focusing on. Hey, Adrian, that's a great point. I agree that th the mission is, is excellent. And I, the fact of the matter is there's been great adoption um, in, in England. You know, one of the concerns I have is when you have um, a global initiative like that, there are so many different countries with so many different types of translations and, and different ways of, of speaking, understanding, learning. Um, so I'm interested to see how Babylon Health scales this AI and this chatbot technology um, and see how it, how it kind of affects other cultures and companies. Because I think that has been one of the challenges uh, globally for some of these AI companies and chatbots to, you know, s something that is said maybe in English is different than an African language or a, or a different Latin-based language. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, Ryan, building off of that, one of the things I thought was really interesting about some of the technology that drives the Babylon Health platform is that they do have a knowledge graph that's intended to address just that by looking at what the meaning behind medical terminology is across different medical systems and different languages. So I think that's will be a really cool way of addressing that if they're able to scale that. And to Adrian's point, I think this idea of testing it 
you know, across all different size and scales of markets, whether it's the UK or Rwanda, and finding a business model that works financially, but also to address just the varying physician shortages. I think Christina had said that, you know, in these more remote uh, countries like Rwanda, physicians are serving tens of thousands mm-hmm. of patients. Uh, it'll be really cool to see how this potentially scales. Yeah, one of the other things I thought was interesting, right, is during the interview with Christina, she talked about the idea of geographic challenges, cost, and clinician shortages as really being the primary barriers to access. So let's talk about technology, because when you think about what Babylon Health is doing and what other healthcare organizations are doing when it comes to addressing remote health, they're really investing in technology to try to address some of these challenges. So um interested in hearing from you guys. How do you see technology breaking down some of these barriers that were mentioned? So integrating technology into healthcare, I think, allows for many benefits. From the automation of repetitive tasks, to providing support with clinical decision to deliver healthcare faster and at a lower cost. So that's very aligned, basically, with Belgian Health's mission and what we try to achieve this year. So by transferring time-consuming activities to machines, it can ease the burden on doctors, including urban health doctors, and give them more time with their patients. To be honest, I actually think that these three potential issues, geographic challenges, cost, and clinician shortage, are actually all causally related, and that technology like remote health is part of the solution. We now have half of the world population living in rural areas and so with remote health, it should be possible to deliver virtually at least the same level of care that you, that you would receive in city. But there are some limitations. For example, a lower level of adoption due to an aging population. And the fact, as Christina mentioned, that not all types of healthcare can be delivered remotely. I'm interested to see how technology can change the landscape regarding that actual geographic access to healthcare. And I think Christina's point around physicians needing to palpitate an abdomen, for example, that's something you can't re- you can't replace via telemedicine. But is there a way that through a combination of education and technology and real-time collaboration, you can train individuals who don't have a full medical training to kind of run satellite offices to do abdomen palpitation or to take measurements before you decide, do you need a four-hour trip to the hospital? So I'm just thinking about, you know, what is, is there a a mid-level credentialing between a full, you know, physician that is kind of licensed to practice any kind of medicine? Um, Is there like a level one customer service triage that people in remote areas can be trained using technology and using, um, using remote communication methods to be trained to kind of do that triage. Uh, And I I think technology could really be helpful in spreading like a a basic level of medical awareness to do that initial evaluation, um, which I think is is something that would be really helpful uh, to allow folks to get kind of that next level just beyond telemedicine um, and see if we can spread that out beyond just the physicians in the office. Yeah, I agree, Mike. I, I was just going to add one thing. The the three-pronged um, kind of mission or that that next layer underneath the mission that Christina mentioned in her 
in her interview with with Mindy really spoke about <clears throat> something that is universal. I think that that is one thing that's really interesting is that it looks like wherever you're going in the world, those three things can be really impacted. And um, technology, I think, can do a couple of things with that. It, it's gonna it's gonna kind of close that unmet clinical need gap, and and that's kind of the, the value of AI. But more so, I think what's really interesting is the idea that data can be um, gathered in a really homogenous way versus the millions and millions of different ways it's it's taken in now and can be interpreted in many ways. One thing that I think is really interesting about some of the new emerging technology solutions we're seeing to address access challenges is this idea of putting the patient at the center of the digital experience and using their empowerment engagement to increase involvement, manage spend, and proactively manage their own health as a means of improving access efficiency and quality of care. Yeah, so you, you talked about patient experience, and I think that's so interesting. One of the other things I want to talk about, just broadening our conversation a little bit, um, the, the talk around artificial intelligence, AI, and it's a major component, right, for Babylon's services, um, especially when you look at how they're using machine learning and natural language processing. So um, let's talk about how does AI start to impact the healthcare market and access to care and even improve the patient experience? So actually, I think that early moving health systems, like the one in the UK with the NHS, have implanted AI in imaging, clinical decision support, and precision medicines already, or at least have started to do so. And this field area seems to be the area that offers the greatest cost savings and efficiency opportunities. Reviewing some of the more recent developments in AI, there are a couple that really jump out to me as potentially being able to impact access and patient care directly. One of these being uh, you know, risk prevention and intervention. Uh, preventable medical conditions account for one in every $10 of hospital spending. And you know, for example, Banner Health is using AI technology to predict risk for health conditions and reduce emergency room and hospitalization uh, to shift that care to primary care centers instead. Other areas that maybe they don't come to mind directly, but really do help cut down on that physician shortage are things like chart review and documentation tools where voice recognition technology is reducing the clinical burden of physicians for non-medical tasks. Um, and EHR modifications, documentation, et cetera, accounts for about 140 billion in annual lost physician time annually. And building off, you know, the discussion that Mike was having earlier around how can we shift care potentially using AI to areas that are more primary care or um, out of the specialist office instead, there are advances in diagnostics and medical imaging that leverage AI that enable primary care physicians perhaps to take on some of the tasks that radiologists or other diagnostic experts were doing previously. I think that's a really great, great call, Jen. And I think one of the things we should be looking at is some of those clinical administrative tasks that you mentioned, Jen, because I think that is that is something that is burdensome of the clinical community across the globe. And if you're able to address that with technology and AI, uh, you're going to increase access because you're going to give clinicians and all of the folks that surround those physicians more time to do the things that they really need to do. And so I think if you focus your thesis on some of the great findings that AI can do in that world, you're going to get some more buy-in, and, and ultimately, more buy-in means 
more users, which means more access. I think the potential for AI to have a huge impact in developing countries is actually really huge. And I think developing countries have a little bit of a benefit um, that might seem counterintuitive. Uh, a lot are a little bit late to the game from a technology standpoint. They've kind of skipped over the computer and have just gone to the smartphone or mobile device as their primary computing device. And, uh, you know, thinking about how how this artificial intelligence, you know, has to deal with a lot of data. I think Christina talked about structured and unstructured data. We're working with a lot of unstructured data in the United States because when doctors were trained, they weren't necessarily trained with the idea that all of their doctor's notes would go into an algorithm to be compiled together. Uh, when you're thinking about developing countries, knowing that artificial intelligence is going to be a huge component of healthcare in the future, they're at a point where they can start to think about actually setting standards and setting standards for not only the, the way that they capture information, but the type of information they capture. So they'll be able to build out that big data infrastructure as their care is developing. And one, it will basically just set them up onto like a path for success because they'll have a really huge pool of data to start from and won't have to do a lot of the legwork to standardize the data. Uh, like we have to in this country where we have, I mean, we've seen how difficult it was just to make the move to electronical, me electronic medical records. So them knowing what the future state is or could be right now is going to help them set the right kind of foundations early on. One of the things I really loved in the interview with Christina was the acknowledgement that she had that regardless of how accurate AI solutions are in healthcare, that there are will always be a role for clinicians. There is an aspect, right, of bedside manner, empathy, and respect that's associated with an interaction that a patient and a clinician have. With trust being one of the major issues in adoption, how do you think AI approaches becoming actually a trusted entity to a patient? I was reading an interview uh, that Dr. Stephen Lin from the Stanford uh, Medical Group had written where he talked about a couple things that can be done both in terms of how the AI user interface works, but also how AI technology is introduced to patients. And talked about the idea that AI should be invisible or in the background, really helping human providers become more efficient and giving them more capacity for that human face-to-face -face element. So those are the user interface changes. But in terms of how we position it, he said that it's really helpful to position it to patients that AI is not replacing anyone on their care team. It's just becoming another person or another tool that helps their human providers become more effective and efficient. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Jen. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of clinicians wouldn't just print out the results of a test and hand it to a patient and say, okay, here's your diagnosis, and then have them leave. And I think that that's, that's what is concerning for some people about AI, especially because a lot of the algorithms are very black box and they're not, and when I say black box, I mean they're difficult to understand why they're coming to the decisions because they're actually making a clinical decision based on hundreds of thousands of cases and, and, and dozens or if not hundreds of different features um, for each of those components. So I think as clinicians start to interface more frequently with AI, they, they probably require a basic level of understanding and fluency in explaining to patients what the AI is doing and how they contributed to it. But I think you know delivering that message that they are still the physician that is making the final care decision 
and you're really just thinking of the AI as an additional colleague or a second, third, fourth, sixth, fifth, sixth, and seventh opinion all at once, um, as opposed to completely replacing the role as a clinician. Yeah, I, I hear both of what you're saying, and I think it is important. I think it's got to be simpler than that. I think saying that AI or artificial intelligence is going to help the physician or it's just going to be another person still scares people uh, on many different levels. So I think this is one of the challenges that a Babylon Health is going to have is to explain it in a simple way to show that it's not attacking. It's not, you know, there, there is some preconceived notions on, on the ineffectiveness and scariness of AI and chatbots. So I think, I think it's going to be a challenge moving forward for these types of companies to convince not just patients, but providers of all of the things you just said. And it also might be a generational thing because I was thinking about chatbots the other day and I was thinking, you know, I think even with chatbots, there's still like a level of, um, of lack of empathy, right, and sympathy that you feel kind of coming through on the other end. But it may be that that's a generational acceptance too. Like older generations want the look, the feel, the interaction uh, of a clinician, whereas as we go through generations, younger generations may be much more acclimated and accustomed to having voice just be part of their everyday life. And so as a result, um, if it feels a little more, more sterile, they may not actually acknowledge that or even recognize it because that's what they're used to. So I think there's another component to that um, that also layers into this aspect of empathy and how you create a bedside manner interaction that's acceptable to end users. Yeah, and that uh, I just respond to that. that. That's good for preventative health and for um, a sect of the population that is probably healthier than the rest. The concern I have is that high-risk populations are typically older um, and less apt to use these devices. So um, it'll be interesting how that gap is filled. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in this episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health Podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit TrendingHealth.com. Tune in to the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.